Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk About Cities, a podcast dedicated to making complex topics in urban planning and architecture more accessible. Today, we will introduce a slightly different form of the podcast, where we talk about a current topic in a shorter episode. This first time, it will be about the plans of Brussels and Paris to implement large car-free zones. I'm Katharina. And I'm Matthias. Let's talk about cities. So back in the fourth episode, it was it was about ecologically sustainable planning. We talked about how the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, wants to transform the city into a 15-minute city where it would never take longer than 15 minutes to reach your work or school or um, maybe a, a supermarket. Yeah, by, these kind of everyday life destinations. Exactly, by foot or um, with your bike. And... To me, it goes along with this goal that now the city is being transformed in a more pedestrian, more walkable, friendly city. Mm -hmm. And I think one of those measures is that they actually ban the cars um, to a large degree from certain zones. And they have now um, announced that they want to do this um, in starting in four arrondissements, how they call it, so four districts, which will be in the inner city. And um, yeah, and we, we kind of figured it could be a good way to talk about this um, news, actually. And yeah, it's about a week old, the, the decision finally to do it, but it won't take effect until 2024. Exactly. Apparently. But also I just thought four districts might sound like a little depending what, what your idea of, of the size of a district is. But um, when you look at the plan, it's actually quite big. Yeah, we recommend having a look at the map and, and seeing which, uh, which districts are drawn up to be a part of it, because it's actually quite a considerable size of the inner city of Paris. Yeah, exactly. And I do think it's quite bold, even though I think as a disclaimer, also you should probably mention that if I say it's car-free, not all cars are banned. Um, residents can still drive there if they move, for example. Or let's say there's a person um, who's in a wheelchair or in any other way handicapped, they will have a special permission to go there. Um, of course, uh, fire trucks or police um, or other uh, emergency vehicles can drive there. So yeah, I think exactly. that's just important to yeah. mention. If you say car-free zones, it's mostly about reducing the uh, traffic that goes through those districts. Exactly, yeah. And this is, however, already a big, um, or will be probably a big improvement for the for the pedestrians. Yeah, and also in terms of the pollution um, that is eliminated by that. Uh, we'll talk a bit later about Brussels, where I found some some numbers of their expectations of how much will change by that. But um, I'd also like to mention in, in uh, regards to Paris that um, one of the first questions which arises is also, well, how will delivery vehicles 
reach their destinations because obviously there are everything from shops to cafes or or restaurants within that zone and um in general delivery vehicles are also not banned uh, there are different uh, strategies in different cities sometimes there are particular time periods for example during the night when they don't uh, bother people or create as much traffic as, as during the day um, to, to have deliveries made during the night but in Paris interestingly um, there have been attempts already to reduce the need for delivery motor vehicles at all through what I found is a very um, intelligent solution namely to make sure that big deliveries are made to the rail yards and in Paris they have I think it's four large rail yards um, around the like on each side of, of the city which then each can be used as a sort of logistical center mm. and then that can be loaded directly from trains that drive into this facility to smaller trucks um, generally these trucks then bring the goods to a smaller logistical center and from this new type of logistical center that can also be in urban environments and don't need to be in sort of industrial areas on the periphery of the city and from there on it can be distributed uh, to the client or to to um to shops or so yeah. to the destination with uh, electric bikes for example el like electrical cargo bikes mm. and i think that's a very uh, clever way to deal with the issue of um delivery oh, mobility yeah. for 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 delivery of goods and uh, especially with the rise of of e-commerce um and uh, to avoid that creating even more traffic mm. i think we could actually uh, once make a whole episode about it because it's always about this last mile right yeah, like how exactly do you that. how does the package then come to the consumer and then obviously you talk about uh, oftentimes very urbanized areas um, where those lorries do actually um, create a lot of traffic, noise, pollution. So yeah, and it's also an issue for them because if there's a lot of traffic, then that also means traffic jams and that impacts their performance or, or their delivery times. Um, so it's it's something that everyone can benefit and very interesting when... when um, Uh, you know you get away from that sphere of uh, competing interests and mm. work together to find really sustainable uh, kind of progressive solutions mm -hmm. I, i find that very interesting yeah and also one last thing to paris they also talked about which i think is kind of uh, connected to this whole topic they talked about um, having those noise raiders mm -hmm. now um, where they say that it's not only about how you perceive the the street when walking or cycling through, but also for the uh, residents that obviously it's not nice if those very loud motor uh, cycles or also other vehicles drive through the streets. And therefore they have um, started to put up some noise radars, but will do it even more in the future. And that is to uh, ban those very loud vehicles, as yeah, I to, said. Yeah, to, to measure when a car is particularly loud and much the same way as a speed camera uh, register who's the driver yeah. and, and, and find them yeah. right? to, to disincentivize it. But um, yeah, let's, let's move on about to Brussels. What, what have you found there? Um, What's their well, approach? Brussels is uh, one of the most polluted cities in Europe. Um, in a study 
of nitrogen oxide, which is one of the most dangerous uh, pollutants emitted by, by motor vehicles. It was found that uh, out of 800 European urban areas, Brussels was uh, the eighth most contaminated. Mm. Um, that. Now, that's not only because of motor vehicles, it's also because of um, factories, for example, but still they have a huge issue with pollution. So with that as one reason, they in 2020, two years ago, um, decided on a new plan, um, which is dealing with the whole city. Uh, so it was a com comprehensive mobility plan called Good Move. Mm -hmm. Um, with different parts to it, but uh, uh, one of the parts is that they'll make, much like in Paris, um, the city center car free, mm -hmm. which means uh, car reduced. Mm. And uh, it's interesting how they've done it in the sense that they are taking a bit of a different approach uh, to just looking at that as one zone and trying to reduce traffic only in that. They are viewing the whole city as a network mm -hmm. as it is obviously of traffic and they've um, divided the city up into 28 meshes as they call it uh, so those are the different zones and they border each other and the borders are then usually main roads mm -hmm. and then they're especially trying to reduce like throughway traffic in residential areas including in the city center and moving this um, this traffic to larger roads around the city in mm -hmm. particular. So there's a ring road around Brussels, um, as in many cities. Then at key locations in, in the intersections of these meshes, there will be parking facilities like parking houses and connections to public transport. So it's sort of a multi-pronged approach mm -hmm. to it. It's not just about reducing cars, it's about um, achieving a, a, a transformation of the uh, mobility behavior of, of people. and, and um, you know, making it easier as well, not just getting the whip out, but also um, improving the, the conditions for public transport. And they've done estimates on this, which show that uh, traffic should be reduced by about 35% on local roads, about 10% on the main roads. And then there will be an increase on the ring road of 18% mm -hmm. of the traffic, but it should be dimensioned to, to handle that and not be... Um, not be built out and overall in the city it should reach a reduction of of four percent in traffic and within the whole perimeter of the region it should lead to a reduction of 21 percent and that corresponds to 440,000 trips per day by car wow so that really makes a huge difference especially in terms of lowering the emissions of of the pollutions i find as i said interesting with that approach that they they view the whole city as a network mm -hmm. and, and they know that obviously still there has to be a motorized traffic, but they're trying to, to optimize where that traffic is and not just based on the traffic, like to, to make that as efficient as possible, but also based on, well, where do you actually want to have traffic? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in much the same sense, they decided already three years ago to um, implement a speed limit of 30 kilometers per hour in the entire city mm -hmm. at once, which also achieves that, that they, they reduce noise levels and they reduce uh, pollution through that. And they also um, make the streets more comfortable spaces because it's about that as well, of course, like not just these, these facts of 
noise and pollutions, but but how the, the spaces are perceived and, and uh, then what you can do with them that you couldn't do with cars are driving very fast, how you might be able to use, for example, they will also make, uh, they will remove parking spaces and those that are left will become more expensive based on which zone they are in yeah. to disincentivize on-street parking. And uh, then you might be able to use the space where there before was parking, but that obviously is also dependent on uh, the cars that still drive on those streets, not driving that quickly. Yeah. I think it's really a lot about actually showing kind of as a test bed in, in certain areas how it could be because yeah. so many people seem to have forgotten that it's, it, it's not a given that this space belongs to the car. And I think it's just really important to show what else could be done. And then based on those alternatives, yeah, <laughs> we can still go back to the car but i think it's um just really nice to see how it could work otherwise and then uh, base your decision on that or just i mean realize that um it's probably a much higher uh, quality of life for many also i'd like to point out that obviously it's a, a matter of quality of life but it's also a matter of life and death uh, literally because of those pollution pollutions uh, as mentioned um, studies show that that um, several hundred premature deaths each year are caused by by pollutions. Um, there was one street in in Graz in Austria, the second biggest city, which they could show that traffic on this one street caused, I think, it was about four premature deaths per year. Mm. And that may sound little, but it's it's quite insane, really, that that's accepted. Obviously, it's also a matter of accidents being reduced, for example, as in the um, example of uh, reduced speed limits, but also generally how we how we um, share the space. Yeah. And, and far too often pedestrians or uh, bicyclists um, are uh, less of a priority, less of a priority to the point where they are actually in danger yeah. because of cars driving around. Another thing that I'd like to mention in, in, in uh, the context of the Brussels plan is uh, that uh, it's been done through a participatory process as well, especially as we went through that last time in the last episode. So since, since 2016, for four years, there's been a participatory process um, which has involved public and private stakeholders as well as associations and they've been invited to discussion forums for example and also looking at examples from other cities and what has worked well and what hasn't um, and uh, also there was a citizens panel formed in the Brussels parliament to make sure that what came out of the process a participatory process was also um, taken into account in the decision making process mm -hmm. and um I think that's very important because otherwise oftentimes, like for example, as a reaction to the Brussels plan, uh, many local business owners in the city center have complained that most of their customers come by car and they're af afraid of losing, losing turnover because of the plan. But if you look to examples, there are lots um, in Vienna, for example, uh, as well with main shopping street, Marie-Hilfestrasse, but in Oslo as well, um, as an example that reduced uh, car traffic in the city center by removing parking spots, um, it can now be shown that uh, that uh, turnover in the shops 
where that was implemented increased by about 10%. So even in terms of business interests, it's a positive Makes move. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Before wrapping up, we can also have a look at a place where a car-free zone has already been implemented since a long time, namely Pontevedra in Spain. And there, uh, a large part of uh, the city, mostly the city center, um, has been car-free since 1999. Um, so almost 25 years now. And um, it was... Loris, who's the, still the mayor, and when he became the mayor, he, he did it right away as his first thing in, mm -hmm. in duty, kind of. And back then, it was even more, um, planning was even more car-oriented than it is now. And so he was perceived as crazy by many, but still did it and made it car-free and um, also changed the paving of the, the city, which of course also plays a huge role in actually showing or, or making it very easy to understand where pedestrians can walk freely and where they can't. So mm -hmm. this was one of the things he also did. And I think it was maybe easier there than it is in other places because it's quite a small city. It has around uh, 80,000 inhabitants. So it's very walkable as it's quite small also. And you can basically go around the whole um, inner city in like 25 minutes or so. So you mm -hmm. don't really need a car. And he said like for special occasions, like if someone gets married or so, then the, the bride and the groom can actually um, drive to the church. But mm -hmm. then the rest of the guests will walk and it's not a problem. And, and, um, he, uh, yeah, it was just really, he, he said for him, it's paradise. And, um, I guess him being voted into being mayor over and over again also shows probably that has something to do with that. Decision. I guess, yeah. um, because I, it seems like the inhabitants are also quite proud of, living there and you know it's this pioneer example of how it can work out when you actually uh, ban uh, cars from cities and yeah. and how you can um, hear the birds sing again and and like very romantic stuff like that um yeah I mean, if you've ever been to venice uh, for example uh, walking along along the streets and alleys there um you might not think about it at first but obviously because of how the city is built and that they mainly use the canals. There are some cars sometimes on certain streets, but generally there aren't. And it's, it's quite amazing, really, if you're used to, as most people are, I'm sure, um, you know, being um, assigned to the, to the pavement or mm. to the sidewalk and this tiny, tiny uh, fraction of the space and, and still streets are public space. Mm. So that's really a bit odd. And sometimes it just needs a few examples like that, I think, to to open our minds up to show that it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first episode of uh, a bit of a new format for us, which with uh, quick episodes on current topics. We hope you enjoyed it and um, have become interested in the topic of car-free cities. Thank you for listening. Let's talk about cities.